Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening, as always, to Bible Crossfire every week at this same time. We take your calls, try to do our best to give you a Bible answer to your Bible question. We allow you to tell us what you think the Bible says about a particular topic or particular text in the Scriptures. Uh, We all can learn from each other. Let's just use the Bible as our authority because God is our authority. And he tells us how to please him through his word. So by extension, his word is our authority. Jesus said in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. We know only the truth is going to set us free from sin. I mean, Jesus makes that clear in John eight thirty two. But the word of God is what defines for us what the truth is. Not what we think, not what we want, not necessarily what will bring in the most people or what makes us, what is the most fun and exciting to us, but actually what the Word of God says because God is our authority and therefore His Word would be, by extension, our authority. It's the answer to every religious question. If there is an answer, it's going to be in the Bible. If it's not found in the Bible, then God evidently didn't intend for us to know the answer to the question. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, God said the secret things belong to God. So something, he doesn't reveal everything, only the things that we need. He thinks that we need to serve him faithfully in this life. While we're waiting on our first call, I thought we'd talk about God's character. Character. <clears throat> character, according to dictionary.com, means the aggregate of features and traits that form the individual nature of some person or thing, moral or ethical quality. All of us have a character, good or bad. God's character is what we're going to talk about tonight. It is the ultimate. It is the perfect. He is perfect in character. Our admiration for God's impeccable character should motivate us to further serve him. And that's one of the reasons we study about God's character, because we want to have motivation to serve him faithfully. A second reason we would study about God's character is because we want to try to emulate God's character. I think it's in 1 Peter 1.16 where God said, be holy even as I also am holy. So we study the Bible, find out what God's character is, the aggregate of his features and traits, and we try to emulate those the best we can. That's what we're trying to be holy like he is. Now, we're not going to be as holy as him? No, but we're going to try. That's our goal, is to live according to his word. The first character trait I want to talk about with God is probably one you think of first, and that is God is loving. And I got from the, the dictionary, loving means to strongly care for and to try to affect a person for his own best good. If we really love someone, That's what we're going to do. We're going to strongly care for them and try to affect them for their own best good. And and that's exactly what God does in relation to us. And he's perfect at that. He's perfect. He has no jealousies or anything like that that would keep him from it. He has no bitterness. He's going to try to affect us for our own best good. And he does that through the word of God. So we're not going to get that own best good from God if we're not studying his word. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, you remember the announcer said, The number to call is 877-655-6755. Now's a good time to call. The the lines are wide open for your Bible question or comment. Give me a call. 877-655-6755.
let's talk about God being loving. First of all, let's read 1 John 4, verse 8. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. So, so if we don't love, this verse says we don't really know God. A lot of people claim to know God, but they don't love others like they ought to, so they don't really know God. God is love. Now, that's not saying God is love in the sense that they're equivalent, meaning that love is God, and that's all there is to God is love. No, it's like saying God is just. That means uh God is the ultimate in being just. God is the ultimate in being loved. God is loving. That's what it means by God is love. He is perfect at it. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son for us. Let's read the, the demonstration of his love, the most famous verse in the Bible. I love it. Such a concise summary of the gospel. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The, I think the main point of that verse is, is that God gave his son. and But the verse begins by saying, by telling us why he gave his son. Because he so loved the world. Now notice, he so loved the world. You'd have to love somebody an awful lot to give your son for him, wouldn't you? Well, that's what he did. And he loved the world. Not just part of the world. He didn't just die for the elect like the Calvinist says. It says he loved the world. That's everybody in the world. So much that he gave his son. So Jesus died for everybody. Is everybody going to be saved? No, you have to trust and obey Jesus to be saved. Atheists aren't going to be saved, but can they be saved? If they'll turn and believe? Yeah, because Jesus died for them. If Jesus hadn't died for them, there's no way they could be saved. God loved the world, everybody. He gave his son for the world. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This salvation that Jesus provides through his death is conditional. We have to trust and obey. This talks about believing in him. We've got to believe. We've got to trust him. Other passages say we've got to obey him. For example, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9 talking about Jesus says he became the author or the source of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So only those who obey Jesus are going to... Receive eternal salvation. Sometimes people say, well, that, that would be a work salvation. No. If you look at that verse, Hebrews 5, 9, the fact that we have to obey Jesus to receive eternal salvation is without doubt. It's clearly taught in the passage, but it doesn't make us the source of the salvation. The fact that we have to obey Jesus doesn't mean we're the source of the salvation. Jesus is the source, source his death, his shed blood. Obeying him is just a condition we have to meet in order to be saved by the source takes trust and obedience. John 3.16 lets us know that not everybody's going to be saved. Jesus died for everybody, but only those who believe, only those who accept him, only those who trust and obey him are going to receive everlasting life. The ones who don't are going to perish spiritually. God is a loving God, so loving. He loved us so much that he was willing to give his son to die for everybody. Again, if you have a Bible question or comment, the number to call is 877-655-6755. Another character trait of God that I'd like to talk about is the fact that God is just. Here's the definition for just. Guided by truth, reason, justice, and fairness in accordance with standards or requirements. And that's exactly how God is. God judges people or he deals with people according to standards or requirements. He's perfectly fair. He's not going to judge you differently than the way he judges me. 
He judges us both based upon his word. Remember what Jesus said in John 12, verse 48? His word is going to judge us in the last day. It's, it's, everybody's going to be judged by the same thing, the same standard. God is just. You remember when, when the Israelites sinned, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai getting the Ten Commandments? Uh, when, when they sinned, they built a golden calf, and God's going to destroy them. And here's what Moses says in Exodus 32, 31 through 33. And Moses returned unto the Lord. And said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Moses was wanting to take their place. All these people would sin. Save them and take me. Blot me out of the book, meaning take the salvation away from me. And But God is just. He wouldn't allow that. He says, whoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. You're in that book because you're saved. He's going to blot you out of that book because you lose your salvation, the book of life, the list of the names of all the saved people. God is perfectly just. He wasn't going to cause Moses to lose his salvation because their sin, the Israelites' sin. He's, the Israelites lost their salvation because of their own sin. God is perfectly just. Kevin from Florida, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. How does the will of God and the will of man work together for salvation? Well, that's a good question. You know, I was mentioning Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9 a while ago. It's talking about Jesus. It says he became the author or the source of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. So there we talk about the will of God. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He becomes the source of our eternal salvation. But then the will of man comes into play because only those who obey him are going to receive the salvation from that source. Only those who obey Jesus are going to take advantage of the death, the shed blood of Christ. Does that kind of get at your question a little bit, Kevin? Just looking at Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, it kind of shows how they, how they interrelate, God's will and man's will. Yeah, man has a responsibility in it. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's something I'm studying, yeah. and I just want your input. Yeah, you notice in Hebrews 5, 9, though, as I said before, just because it says we have to obey Jesus to receive salvation, eternal salvation from the source who is Jesus, it doesn't make us the source of our salvation. Right. Jesus is the right. source. When we obey, that's simply a condition we have to meet. We read John three sixteen. you have to believe. So you have to trust and obey. You familiar with that famous hymn, Kevin, Trust and Obey? I'm not. My fa my favorite hymn, and it teaches the truth. You have to trust and obey to please to please God. These are just conditions we have to meet. We don't save ourselves by trusting and obeying Jesus. For example, when do you remember the story, Kevin and Joshua six, of God knocking the walls of Jericho down? Do you remember that? Yes. God told the Israelites to walk around those walls thirteen times in seven days, and then God knocked the walls down. Well, the walking. They had to trust and obey God. They had to believe that God would knock the walls down, and then they had to walk around it 13 times in seven days. But the walking is not what wow. knocked the walls down, was it, Kevin? It was God that knocked them down. You follow what I'm saying? Right, right. And you they see how God's will faith, and man's will? They walk, yeah. yeah. Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after they were compassed about for seven days. <laughs> so it's exactly, it was by faith they walked around, their walking didn't knock the walls down. God knocked it down. It was the will of God that the walls be knocked down. But he didn't do it unless man 
obeyed his will unless they walked, like he said. Make sense, Kevin? Beautiful. Thank God. Yeah, very Kevin, good. You, very good. Appreciate you calling. You got any follow-up question or comment before I let you go? No, no. Uh, keep doing the good work. God bless you. Whereabouts are you from in Florida? South? North? Middle? Uh, where? Kind of the middle, Orlando area. Orlando, okay. And I'm from North Alabama myself, near Huntsville. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. I got some family in in Albertville, not too far. Okay. I have some friends there. Kevin, you have a good good evening, and perhaps we can talk soon, okay? Thank you, sir. Bye-bye. Thank you for your call. We were talking about how that God is just. Hmm. How that God is just. And I wanted to read Ezekiel 18, 20 through 24, if I have time here. By, by the way, if you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Ezekiel 18, verse 20 through 24 goes like this, or reads like this. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. We're going to read through verse 24, but I want to comment upon verse 20 first. You see how God is just? You don't die spiritually because of somebody else's sin. It says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. Now, the Catholic Church and the Calvinists teach that babies are born guilty of Adam's original sin. They inherit the original sin of Adam. But this verse flatly refutes that. And the reason we know that's not true, because God is just. He's not going to hold somebody else accountable for Adam's sin. Seth, who we probably all came from, he didn't inherit any sin from his dad, Adam, because it says the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father. My dad was named Kenneth. I didn't inherit any sin from him. Babies are born completely innocent. They don't inherit sin, according to this passage. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him. In other words, if you do something righteous, I'm not going to get credit for it. You are. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. If I do something wicked, God's not going to charge you with that wickedness. If Adam does something wicked, which he did, he's not going to credit you with his wickedness. That wouldn't be just. God is just. And this verse points that out. The Catholics and the Calvinists teach a false doctrine, something contrary to the scriptures, and they make God unjust. Let's keep reading verse 21. But if the wicked will turn from all his sins that he hath committed and keep all my statutes and do that which is lawful and right, he shall surely live. He shall not die. All his transgressions that he hath committed... They shall not be mentioned unto him. In his righteousness that he hath done, he shall live. Have I any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, saith the Lord God, and not that he should return from his ways and live? You see how God is just? Here's a wicked man. A wicked man. It's never too late if he's not dead yet. (laughs) The wicked man can always turn from his sins and start living a righteous lifestyle, and God will forgive him. God is completely just. He's just waiting for people to repent. If the wicked stays in his wickedness, he's going to die spiritually. But if the wicked will turn from his wicked ways, he's going to live. God's going to forgive him. God is so fair and just, and the opposite is true. Let me read verse 24. But when the righteous turneth away from his righteousness and committeth iniquity and doeth doeth according to all the abominations that the wicked man doeth, shall he live? All his righteousness that he hath done shall not be mentioned in his trespass that he hath trespassed. And in his sin that he hath sinned, in them shall he die. 
Here's a righteous person. Now, admittedly, this is in the Old Testament, but it works, it works the same in the New Testament. We can see that from other passages. Here's a righteous man. You can't be righteous without being forgiven because unless you're without sin, and nobody does that. So here's a man that's been forgiven of his sins. He's living righteously. He's been saved, we might say, under the Old Testament dispensation. He turns away from his righteousness and starts committing wickedness, abominations, the question is raised, is he going to live or die? And the clear answer here is he's going to die. This, this doctrine, once saved, always saved, is proved conclusively proved false by this verse. And it shows that the once saved, always saved doctrine makes God out to be unjust. He's unjust. If he's going to allow a guy who's righteous, saved, who turns from his righteousness and starts to be a wicked person. If he's still going to be saved, this verse says he's going to be lost. And if you say otherwise, you're accusing God of being unjust because this is how the Bible describes what being just is. If a person's wicked, if he turns from his wickedness, starts living a righteous life, God will forgive him. That's just. Everybody admits that. That's fair. Well, the reverse of that is also true, or God is not just. And that is, here's a righteous man, a saved man, turns from his righteousness, starts living a wicked lifestyle. If he's still going to be saved, by the definition from verse 21 through 24, if he's still going to be saved, that makes God unjust. Instead, God is just, and the verse says he's going to die spiritually. This once saved, always saved. You can find a verse on practically every page of the Bible that conclusively proves it wrong, and not one time in the Bible is there any support for it. Not one verse. People believe the once saved, always saved doctrine because it's wishful thinking. They would love for it to be true that once they become a Christian, they can live any old way they want to, still be saved. It's just wishful thinking. Nothing in the Bible like that. It makes God out to be unjust. And then let's look at Colossians 3, verse 25. It says, but he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. You see, God is just. He's fair. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't show favoritism. If you do wrong, you'll receive for the wrong that you have done. It doesn't make any difference if you're a Christian or a non-Christian. If you do wrong, you're going to receive for the wrong that you did. That's what this verse says. Now, you can argue with that and say, you can say, well, that doesn't make any sense because of this, 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 and this. It doesn't matter what you think. This is what the Bible said. Remember, Jesus said, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is true. So the word defines for us what the truth is, not what we think is good or not the way we would like it to be. This verse clearly says, if you do wrong, does it? He's, he's talking about Christians and non-Christians here. You're going to receive for the wrong that you did. You better repent of that. God is just. If you have a Bible question or comments, comment. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. The number to call again, if you have a Bible question or comment, is 877-655-6755. You know, God is loving. He's just. He's also strict. Strict means characterized by or acting in close conformity to requirements or principles. Boy, does God do that. He acts in close conformity to requirements or principles. Let me give you an Old Testament illustration of God being just. I mean, excuse me, God being strict. Numbers 15, 32 through 40. I'm going to read just enough of this for you to get the story. The children of Israel found a man that gathered sticks upon the Sabbath day. And they that found him gathering sticks brought him unto Moses and all the congregation. And the Lord said unto Moses, The man shall be surely put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones without the camp. 
And all the congregation brought him without the camp and stoned him with stones, and he died. As the Lord commanded Moses, that ye may remember and do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God. Here's a man that got caught working on the Sabbath. That's a violation of the Old Testament law, not a violation of the New Testament law. It's okay for us to work on Saturday or to cut the grass on Saturday. Here, though, he got caught picking up sticks. Evidently, he was going to build a fire on Saturday week, what we call Saturday, the seventh day of the week, the Sabbath. What did God say to do? Stone him. And they did. God is strict. He expects us to obey his law. And if we don't obey his law, we're going to suffer the penalty. Now, you can avoid that penalty based upon the death of Christ if you're willing to repent. But Luke 13, verse 3, Jesus said, except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Don't expect to be able to benefit from the death of Christ and receive forgiveness for your sins unless you're willing to repent of your sins, to turn from your sins. Isn't that what we saw in Ezekiel 18, 21 and following, that if the wicked will turn from his sins, he'll be forgiven? It means if you're not willing to forgive, uh, uh, repent, you won't be forgiven. So God is strict. This is another characteristic of God, a character trait. God, thankfully, is also merciful, which means acting out of kindness, compassion, or favor. Hebrews 8.22, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So God will forgive us. Of course, if we repent and receive forgiveness, he'll, he'll forgive us. He won't remember our sins anymore. This doesn't mean he forgets about them. I mean, David sinned, committed adultery. He repented. He got forgiveness in 2 Samuel 12. That doesn't mean God forgot about the sin uh, in that he can't recall. I mean, they're written right there in, in 2 Samuel for everybody to see hundreds of years later. What it means is once David received forgiveness for that sin, God will never remember it in the sense he'll never bring it back up again. Have you ever had people like that? People that would uh, maybe you'd ask for forgiveness. For, maybe you wronged them. You asked for forgiveness. They forgave you. But a year later, they bring it back up again. God will never do that. That's what this is saying. He will not remember them against you again. If you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are open, 877-655-6755. 1 John 1, 9 says, and this is talking to Christians, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see how merciful God is? If we're willing to confess our sins as a Christian, He'll forgive us of any sin we're willing to repent of. We're willing to confess. Now, that does say if we're not willing to repent, Acts 8, 22, if we're not willing to confess, 1 John 1, 9, he's not going to forgive us. You know, but, so this forgiveness is conditioned upon our repentance, our confession. But if we're willing to confess a sin, he's going to forgive us. He's merciful, very merciful. And he's so patient with us in forgiving us, patient. Bearing provocation, annoyance, delay, hardship, pain, etc., with fortitude and calm. That describes God. Second Peter 3, 9 through 11. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? God is so patient. That's why he keeps putting off the second coming of Christ to give more people time to repent so they can avoid perishing. Second Peter 3 verse 9. And God is faithful. He always does what he says he's going to do. He keeps his promises.
Deuteronomy 7, 9, know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. As long as you'll be faithful to God, he will keep all his promises to you. But he does have a promise that if you don't obey him, he'll take the blessings away, including salvation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. He's faithful. He'll provide a way of escape. He won't tempt you above that you're able. I'm so thankful for that. But God's mercy will do us no good unless we take advantage of it by obeying the gospel. How do you obey the gospel? And an ice told Saul, rise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You've got to believe and be baptized. Mark 16, 16, to receive the benefits of his death. If you would like that free one-hour phone Bible study with me at your convenience, call or text me, 256-682-9753. 256-682-9753. Call or text me.